What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 74 of the 2QB Experience. I'm your host. My name is Greg Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com. And on the line, special guest Todd Burroughs at Todd from PA on Twitter of Fanball, Rotoviz, Football Diehards, and the Run to Daylight podcast on blogtalkradio.com. And we're going to talk about best ball today. Now, this isn't something that directly correlates to two quarterback formats, so, you know, 2QB leagues, super flex leagues. But it's a one-quarterback format that generally you have to draft more QBs and care about more quarterbacks because you have to get backups at every position. Um, If you're not familiar with best ball, these are generally draft-only leagues. No weekly lineup decisions because you're automatically given the best possible lineup every week. Uh, But with that in mind, you have to draft backups for every position. Uh, The rosters are typically deeper to accommodate for that than a standard league, You know where you can work the waiver wire to get injured players in and out. Um, best ball is typically structured as a winner-take-all, maybe with second or third place getting a small payout for their troubles. Um, but in general, you're really just trying to win these leagues. Uh, there are some other variations. Uh, the draft strategy has to change, though, because you don't have to worry about when players belong in your lineup. Uh, you know, High-variance players, therefore, gain some amount of value. But you still are going to want a handful of consistent week-to-week performers just to ensure that you're scoring well each week. Um, how'd I do with that explanation, Todd? Is there anything else you want to add? I think you did pretty good. And I think best ball's gotten to the point where most people know what it is. Sometimes it goes by the generic best ball for a while. It, you know, MFL tens, uh, which I do a podcast and write for on fan ball, uh, was kind of the Kleenex of the tissue world. Yeah. Or Frisbee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Frisbee. Uh, but the, you know, definitely, uh, the key is that, uh, you, you, you know, it's kind of set it and forget it. So what drew you into the format? Because you're pretty deep in it these days. Yeah, I think like most people who get into fantasy football and you get addicted, right? And you get addicted pretty quickly. And drafting is so much fun. Most people, myself included, end up in more leagues than they can reasonably handle. And for sure that happened to me and I got pretty burnt out and I got out of you know, I played fantasy, but I didn't play much, and I really didn't study for about six years. And then when I discovered best ball, I immediately got hooked because I could draft about as much as I wanted without all that need for in-season management. So if you've uh, drafted and, you know, you love to draft and you just can't handle as many leagues as you would like, best ball's a wonderful way to uh, scratch that itch, if you will. How long did it take you before you started to realize that the draft strategy had to be different between best ball and traditional fantasy leagues? Well, I think if you're smart and you go into every uh, format and you study, you know, how many quarterbacks, how many running backs. I mean, the first thing I, I recommend to anyone when they join one of my leagues that I commission is read the rules. You, you got to read the rules. You got to understand the format. But what ended up happening is uh, with Twitter world and, you know, I started following people who were playing MFL 10s and I started seeing some of the content that was out there. And my first year, I was heading for a really good year and I, I hit the running back apocalypse with all the injuries. <laughs> and I ended up just under being uh, profitable. My second year, I, I love drafting, but I really didn't study as much as I should. And again, I just missed being profitable. And then last year, I really started writing about it, podcasting about it, studying it. It really became a passion and I had a really good year. So uh, I don't know that I'm still answering the question that you asked, but uh, that that's kind of how it uh, came about that I got into it as deeply as I did. Uh, I think like most people, if you know, if you're not successful, you have to start looking at why and what you can do to be more successful. Yeah, it's cool that you can that you saw those results, so that you saw the gains of your study, the fact that you put more work into it and you were re- rewarded for that. That's pretty cool. Now, I want to talk about some different variations of the format. Uh, you mentioned MFL 10s, but there are multiple different places to play best ball these days, and I'm sure you dabble in some of the other ones besides MFL 10s. So give me one thing you like about each of the best ball sites that you play on. What's each format's greatest strength relative to the others? 
Well, as you mentioned, I'm doing some work for Fanball and MFL 10s. We'll get that caveat out there again. Uh, but they don't have any agreement with me on, you know, where I can play and how I play. But most of my money will go to that site because it's the format I like best and it's the most popular and it's the one I've done the most research on. Um, I, I, I just think it's it's kind of the perfect format. Um, I guess the only thing sometimes I wish is that there were one or two more rounds because uh, I think at 20 rounds, injuries can play a, a huge part in who wins and who loses. Uh, and that's why I love the FFPC's format of 28 rounds. I think it gives an advantage to someone like myself who really studies opportunities. And by opportunities, I mean you know, if there's a backfield with three running backs, what's the chance that, you know, that third guy becomes the first guy? And I think because it is 28 rounds, the winners are decided less by injury. Draft I've only dabbled in a little bit, but I really dig the live three-man drafts. Those and are cool. uh, Yeah, and I think I might have a code break to those, but only time will tell. Oh, I'm interested to see if, if you can break that. That'd be really cool. Now... I, you, you mentioned a little bit about this, like not having enough rounds in MFL 10s, but is there anything else you don't like about those other hosts? Uh, okay, so if you want to go into what I don't like, uh, you know, Fanball's done a great job in a short time, you know, getting really good software on the market. Uh, and, but there is some things that, you know, I miss that MFL had, and I know they're on the list of things that they're going to add, but the biggest one is right now you can't see your exposure to players. Hmm. So th that's what's uh, getting me there. FFPC, I mean, I, I hate to complain about it, but it's the rake. I mean, their rake is like 28%, and Ooh. I would play a lot more there if the rake wasn't so much higher than other sites. Uh, I think the word on that is pretty much out there now, and at least to me it seems like the volume is down um, I mean, they're great people. They're, you know, I love playing in their season-long FBG league. But, um, you know, if you're asking me the negative, that's the negative. Draft, I'm just not a half PPR guy. And since I don't draft a, off a spreadsheet like a lot of the top guys, I think it could hurt me, uh, you know, trying to mix formats. That was my biggest hurdle to get over last year when I was starting out on draft was adjusting to the different scoring, like what that does to wide receiver value, what it does to running back value. I, I, I you get comfortable in, you know, the formats that you're most used to and w whether you want those things to filter into your other formats or not, I feel like there's always some sort of like minor bias that, that kind of can fool you sometimes. And, and you got to be really careful of that when you are, you know, playing in a bunch of different formats, it goes back to, you know, that idea of knowing your rules, reading the rules, knowing what you're getting into ahead of time. Yeah, their main format also is 10 player drafts. And, you know, I'm just a 12, I'm a 12 team guy since I started in fantasy. And, you know, those, those two things are keeping me from doing more there. But I really like those little three man drafts. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, uh, I'm, I'm trying out a, a kind of neat strategy, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, if I had to come up with a, a beef against any and all of these sites, it would be that all these leagues are one QB. Uh, it would be cool to see what would happen if they opened up uh, like a super flex corner uh, or something like that. Well, um, actually, I FFPC, I think, does have that. Oh, they do. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I think they do, to be fair. I don't play it, but I know they have it for Dynasty and Season Long. So I'm not sure if they have it for best ball, but I think they do. I'll have to look into that. I, I admittedly have not ever played with FFPC, and part of it is, you know, like you said, the word's out on the rake. So <laughs> I've, I've, you know, kept my phones in at other sites, but that's okay. Um, like, like you said, every, everybody kind of is doing their own thing, and they have pros and cons, right? Um, I won four out of 18 leagues on uh, FFPC last year, so I'm not going to just ignore it. I had a high, even with the, the bad rake, my uh, ROI on that was a little higher than MFLs. I think it was something. Uh, I think I was right around 100% ROI on FFPC and 86 on uh, MFL. So I'm I'm definitely not gonna just abandon the format. That's pretty damn good. Um, I want to talk to you about quarterbacks because this is 
something that often gets overlooked, especially in regular one quarterback leagues. Uh, you know, it's become a pretty replaceable position. Late round QB is the dominant strategy in you know regular redraft formats. But in best ball, you have to try to pair these guys up properly. You have to try to find the right values at the right times. And sometimes that is with the higher priced guys, um, especially this time of year when they're not going quite as high as they will go in August and whatnot. Um, but let, let's talk about how one QB best ball works first. Do you tend to draft two or three quarterbacks to your best ball rosters? Um, well, first of all, Mike Beers has done a lot of uh, research and Overall, the difference in winning percentage between two and three quarterbacks is pretty negligible. So it really comes down to what do you like better and why do you like it better? For me, I'm always, almost always a two quarterback guy because I feel it's a very stable position, but I make sure I get both of them within a certain range of guys. So this year, like Derek Carr and Andy Dalton are kind of like my my, the end of the road of the guys that I'll find acceptable for two QBs. Uh, and if I don't get that, or if the first guy isn't that good and Carr's my second quarterback, maybe I'll draft the third. Um, but in general, I like, I'd say 80% of the time I'm a, QB, a two QB guy uh, because, again, the drop-off isn't so great at winning percentage. I think I just get more. Uh, at other positions uh, because, you know, the quarterback position is so stable. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. If the win rates are similar, you might as well use the strategy that frees up more roster space for other positions. I think I think that's really intuitive, and, and you know, it's, it's great that Beers is doing that work. Now, how about Superflex or two-quarterback best ball? Have you played around in that format very much? I haven't, but I've been in the Scott Fishbowl the last couple of years, and that's a two, you know, that's a super mm-hmm. flex. And I'll always get three quarterbacks before the run is out. Uh, because I, you know, in that format, I feel like you have to have two quarterbacks to start every week, including bye weeks. Uh, so I'll grab three quarterbacks and then I will make sure that they don't have the same bye week. And then I'll take a flyer on a fourth running, uh, a fourth quarterback normally. You know, like a good backup who might get a chance. Like last year, a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, when he was still in New England, he, I've been a Jimmy Garoppolo truther since he came out of college. So, you know, in case Brady got hurt, I knew that Garoppolo would kill with the Patriots. So, um, you know, I'm, 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 I look to get a fourth guy who, if there's an injury, I think he has the talent and the team to perform. Two years ago, I did that with Dak Prescott in the Scott Fishbowl, but I ended up dropping him before he became the starter, just on, on like an early or late preseason waiver run, oh. just because I wanted to get somebody else. It, it, oh man! And I still did pretty well that year. I think if I had had him, I would have had a shot. I, that's gonna, that's gonna bug me till the day I die. I tell you what. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about individual QBs, and I want to start at the top of ADP, and two guys that I think are. You know, very talented, of course, but also pretty risky and, and maybe riskier than people realize. Is Deshaun Watson the biggest trap at his position to you at as the second quarterback in ADP? Or do you think it might be Russell Wilson kind of considering the exodus of talent that's happened around him this offseason? Like, I, I see these guys going this high, and I worry that they're both being overvalued relative to, you know, what their actual situation is and factoring in some amount of regression from last season. All right, so we'll start with Watson. You know, the caveat was he played amazing. I don't want to diminish him or his, what he did, but if my choice is getting him in the sixth round or Tom Brady, I, who's going after Watson in the later sixth, or I've gotten Brady in the seventh a couple times, I'm taking Tom Brady. Yeah. If my choice is Watson in the sixth or Newton in the late seventh or eighth, I'm going to wait. And the same thing for all the tenth round guys. So, I, I mean, I think Watson is a trap uh, in a certain extent, but my reason for passing on him is the fact that uh, I just think I can do just as well later. Uh, and I think that it, it's really, you know, it's really a lot to ask to think that he's going to put up those numbers again. The defense should be better with J.J. Watt back, 
and the other guy who got hurt, I think is, it was merciless. So, uh, you know, it, it, you got to look at all the factors that led to that, that performance. As far as Wilson, Russ was my number one quarterback last year in exposure by a good bit, and it paid off nicely for me. But I was drafting him around where I'm getting Newton this year. Yep. So they profile similarly. And one of the things that I've done some study on that I think is really important when you're choosing quarterbacks in best ball is you want one of those boomer bust guys like a, a, a Wilson or a uh, Newton, like I mentioned. Uh, ben Roethlisberger's had three 30-point weeks uh, three years in a row. And then I like mixing them with a more stable guy. And the reason is when I studied win rates at the quarterback position, I was noticing that a guy like Wilson had a higher win rate than Carson Wentz, even though Wentz at the time he got hurt and Wilson were almost identical in fantasy points and Wentz had been drafted six rounds later. And it didn't make sense to me because why would the win rate on Wilson be higher? And then I, I noticed that Newton was second in win rate. And then I did a little more research and I noticed that they had had, you know, some five point weeks, but they also had a bunch of 30 point weeks. And I think that that's optimal in best ball because just like DFS, you're trying to put up your best score each week. And since scoring is so flat at the QB position, like we discussed, I, you know, I love having one boomer bus guy because I can pair him with a guy who's more stable. And I think that's going to supercharge my teams. That's actually a strategy that bleeds into two quarterback formats, just regular, you know, seasonal redraft leagues. Um, I, I try to do that with my QBs as well. If, if I can end up, or if I do end up with a riskier guy as my, first quarterback taken i try to balance that out with some more predictable guys after and vice versa if i end up drafting you know a stable guy like matthew stafford as my qb1 then i'm more apt to take a risk on a, a qb2 or a qb3 who might be more boom or bust and that, that's that's a cool kind of parallel between best ball and two quarterback formats absolutely and to finish on wilson you know i i, I think that the talent exodus is important, but you also have to remember that the biggest exodus has been on the defense, Yes, which means he might need to throw and run even more this year. So I think the talent lost on offense is balanced by the talent lost on defense. But my So my issue with Wilson is more where he's being drafted than any concern that uh, Richardson and Graham are gone. Right. And like you said, we know these guys are talented. We know they're both good. It's just all about cost and value. Now, I want to talk about Drew Brees next because he just had one of his most efficient seasons ever, but he's being drafted behind Watson, Carson Wentz, and Cam Newton. Are people chasing that boom bust thing, you think, in this case? Because Brees didn't have as many, you know, complete blow up weeks in 2017 as he did in years prior. What do you think? Well, I think that efficiency in this case is kind of like when someone tells you that you should go out with their friend. She has a great personality. <laughs> um, you know, that's code for something. Efficiency means that he didn't have those big weeks that he had had in the past. You know, Breeze is an old is, is old, one year older. He was the ninth highest scoring QB last year. And again, back to offense and defense being correlated that defense was much improved last year, and they've added some nice pieces like Demario Davis. So I, I just don't see him profiling like he used to, where they were always in these shootouts. So I, I you know, I have no breeze so far this year. I don't, I'm not against him, but I think that there's a little bias in the fact that people are still identifying him as who he was instead of who he is yeah that's fair i just i don't know i guess i'm okay with that more predictable safer guy um i i know i know you talked about chasing those boom bust guys to some extent but if if drew Brees is going to be consistent in a drew Brees way and you know put up 18 to 20 points most week whereas the other consistent guys are going to be in that maybe 15 to 18 point range then i think there's value to that and if Brees is going behind those guys we mentioned and you know, we'll see other drafters randomly reach for, you know, players like probably Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff ahead of Breeze this year, just because everyone wants to be in on, on the next big thing, right? 
I think that Breeze is being disrespected a little bit, uh, and I don't know. I, I it, it's going to be interesting to see where he kind of lands as the offseason ramps up in ADP. Because I, 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 I'll go ahead. I think that it's good that they signed Cam Meredith. I think they leaned on the running backs a lot last year because they just didn't have the receivers that they needed, and Ben Watson's back. But again, it's not just about the profile of the quarterback. It's when he's being drafted. He's being drafted as 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 if he's still Drew Brees with that with that high end upside. And I just don't think he has that high end upside. So at an ADP of 88, Cam Newton has an ADP of 90, Garoppolo 98, and and Ben's at 113. Again, I just tend to when the draft comes to me, I'm either looking for Newton or I'm looking for a tight end in that spot. And maybe this is kind of showing part of my, uh, you know, lack of understanding and lack of skill in best ball is that I'm maybe I'm too okay with that kind of safe, predictable player, uh, and maybe I need to be embracing the upside of these other guys that I'm, you know, kind of eschewing in favor of Drew Brees. Well, what do you think about that? I don't think that's the case as much where I think your inexperience, you know, the the draft board is a it's a you know, ADP is like a living thing. Right. Mm-hmm. There, It's got dips and valleys and, and peaks and and all these things at by position. And Breeze, you know, his profile, he's being drafted, in my opinion, around or so too early because of who he used to be. So I'm drafting other people at that position, not that I don't like Drew Brees, but because overall I think that I'm going to have a better team if I take a wide receiver running back or tight end in that spot or Newton and 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 or you know and if I then or get a quarterback later who's going to I think perform you know, I think Ben can be the ninth, you know, finishes the ninth quarterback or Cousins. You know, I just don't see the upside with Breeze that I used to. So, but I guess my point is that I just feel like if you don't play a lot of best ball, you just don't get a sense for that ADP. Yeah, that's fair. So you mentioned earlier about how you like to try to make sure that your two quarterbacks are above a certain threshold. So how often do you actually end up paying for these higher price guys? It sounds like you you take more of a late round quarterback mentality and pass on the high price guys just to get those mid tier guys who could overperform. Is that correct? Uh, it, in it, okay. So I look at it. You know, T.J. Hernandez always talks about in best ball having a portfolio like stocks, right? You want to have high risk stocks mixed with this and that and the other thing. I want some of the high price players. But the way I get my exposure to them is when they drop around. So, you know, I know the ADP and, you know, like I said, Tom Brady in the seventh. Yes. I, you know, even if I don't think I need a quarterback or want a quarterback, that's really hard to pass on. So, you know, when Aaron Rodgers once in a while will fall to the late fourth or the fifth, that's when I'll get my Rodgers shares. So that's my way. You know, I'll, I'll end up being a little bit underweight on them. But I don't want to have zero either because, you know, let's say Rodgers just goes nuts this year. It, it, you know, it's not great to have none of him. Uh, so that, that I guess that's my answer is that I'm buying the top guys on, at, at a discount. And I think that gives those teams the best chance to win. While overall, I'm going to have a heavier portfolio of late round guys. Right. And that makes sense. Um, We talked earlier about how you're generally trying to do winner take all. And that means you only really need to win what, like one out of nine? You got to win 10. You got to win 10 percent. 10 percent is break even. But also you got to realize that, you know, you say late round QB, but my number one quarterback last year was Wilson, who I was getting in the seventh. And eighth rounds, my number one QB this year is Newton, who I'm getting in the seventh, eighth rounds. So I'm not a pure late round QB guy. I like getting a guy that I think can be a top three guy in round seven and eight. And I think both Newton and Wilson Wilson last year profiled that way. And I turned out that I was right on Wilson. I felt last year Wilson's ADP had dropped because 
uh, he was hurt the year before with that leg injury and he yes. didn't run as much. So again, you're always looking in best ball as to you're telling yourself stories and you want to know that you can, in, at least the way I draft, I want to know that I'm drafting a guy at his floor and he has the ability to, to do better and where I think the market has undervalued players. Yeah, you're playing the market, and essentially you don't want to cut yourself off from the possibility of, of getting something like Russell Wilson's 2017 or Peyton Manning's 2013. Even if you only end up with those guys on you know, 3 to 5% of your rosters, that's still better than 0%, right? Correct. And then also, again, back to the dips, there's a lot of really good wide receivers and running backs, and uh, especially wide receivers and a couple tight ends through like the beginning of the seventh round. And then there's like this valley, and I talk about tier drafting a lot. Uh, I, you know, I won't chase a strategy and drop a tier to do it because most strategies that you can come up with are incremental values, and dropping a tier takes that value away. So why chase it? Uh, but another reason I tend not to draft quarterbacks in the fifth, sixth round is I just don't think my roster is better by passing on wide receiver and running back there because it's like I feel the value falls off a cliff a little bit. Yeah, I did a podcast with Ben Gretsch uh, last year uh, about structural drafting and about kind of having a plan of what you want to do but being willing to you know, change your structure and kind of build the house as you go, essentially, so that, you know, like you said, you're not you know, picking from a tier too low when you know, there's still a higher tier available to a different position. Even if it doesn't necessarily match your original plan or structure, you need to be able, able and willing to pounce on those values when they happen, like Tom Brady in the seventh, like you talked about. I want to throw some head-to-heads at you because – Again, quarterback scoring is pretty flat. Um, a lot of these guys are going to seem pretty close in value. Let's assume you reach a point in your draft where you decide to draft a quarterback, and you've narrowed it down to the following pairs of options. And, and I'll acknowledge ahead of time that maybe some of these guys aren't close for you. I just pick guys who are relatively close in ADP. So assuming you had equal exposure of these pairs, who would you take between them? And, and we'll start with Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff. Who you got there? Oh, I, I love this. This is fun. Um, for me, Cousins, his profile will change in Minneapolis. In other words, again, that, you know, with a good defense there, he's not going to be that guy slinging mud in the fourth quarter as often, but his weapons are so much better. I, I call that neutral. Uh, Goff, Goff isn't just like Watson to me. I, I mean, I, I see him as a guy who could regress. So give me Cousins in that one. I'm with you. I am. I'm fully out on Goff. I, I think both these guys have a similar problem where their defenses are are pretty good, and in Goff's case, his defense might be really, really good, even better than last year. And they might not have to throw very much in the fourth quarter of games, like you said. And I, I, I agree with uh, your point about Cousins' weapons as well. There's just a lot to like there, even if the volume isn't there. Um, I think they're both overvalued, to be honest. I, I probably want to end up with much of either. Um, I don't have. I, I've done 35 drafts, and I like Cousins. And I don't think I, – I, if I have one share, that's about all I have, and I've got no golf. But if the gun's pointed at my head, I'm going Cousins. Yeah, and this is just a, a strict case of recency bias. Uh, you know, Cousins – I mean, maybe not recency bias with Cousins, but just kind of that flashiness of him being this big free agent, signing with a team that has good weapons. People see that, and they want to draft him. They think he's going to be great. And Goff, because he's coming off this awesome year, you know, in aggregate, um, people kind of are glossing over the fact that, you know, his season was a little bit more up and down than, than maybe we realize. The next pair is Jimmy Garoppolo and Ben Roethlisberger. Who you got? Uh, well, Garoppolo's going around earlier. Uh, so in a, in a vacuum, I'm going to take Ben around later. Uh, and therefore, if I had to choose between them at the same spot, I'll take Jimmy because I know I won't get him as much because he's going around early. But I, I'm a, as I mentioned, I'm a real Jimmy Garoppolo truther. I own him in all my dynasty leagues, but one 
Um, I really see this as an even split. Ben's gotten rid of the offensive coordinator he didn't like, and I think that had a lot to do with uh, why he was talking about retiring. And you've got, if you think about it, you got Antonio Brown going in the first, Juju Smith going in the fifth. Who's going to throw them the ball? Ben Roethlisberger. And he's going off the board in the 10th round. I mean, Ben, to me, is one of the best values out there right now. So how, how you, you mentioned how Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster being drafted so high was part of the reason you liked Roethlisberger. How often does that factor into your you know evaluations of other quarterbacks? Is that something you look for? Uh, not really, but sometimes the logic just doesn't make sense. You know, Ben was, let me look real quick. Last year in this format, by week he was uh, seventh in points per game. He's going off the board 11th. And I think that his arrow is pointing up, like I said, with the new offensive coordinator, Juju, in the system another year. Uh, I, I just think, you know, it's that kind of logic exercise that I do. And I'll, I'll do that with a lot of players. But uh, and, and then you add the extra bonus that he profiles the way I like. So, uh, you know, I own a, a good bit of Ben so far. Now, is this one of those situations where if you ended up like more overweight on Roethlisberger because he's going around later that I, th- I think you said this, if if all things were equal, you would take Garoppolo because he's the better raw value in terms of ADP. But if if you continued to have the choice, would you kind of just bounce back and forth to make sure you had semi-equal exposure to both? Well, that, that goes back to my whole point about tier drafting. Uh, you know, if a uh, gun to my head, if they were next to each other uh, every draft, I would probably want to have 55-45 Ben over uh, Garoppolo this year. But if, you know, and, and, and right now I'd say it's more like 65-35. I'm drafting both of them. Uh, but just because Ben's around later, if I, if, you know, I do this other math when I'm doing best ball drafts, let's say, I, and I'm sure you do it in your regular drafts, if you're drafting, you know, in the 10th slot and you've got the 10th pick and the wraparound at the third, you'll look at the guys who are in the 11th and 12th spots and did they take a quarterback already? If they did, then and Garoppolo and Ben are both there, I'm going to say most likely I'm going to get one of these guys on the way back. You know, you do that kind of math in your head. So I, I, I'm just going to end up with more Ben, but I really do like both of them. I think both of them are, you know, Garoppolo in a in a Kyle Shanahan offense with Garcon back, Kittle another year, uh, Jarek McKinnon. I mean, I, I, I love Jimmy Garoppolo. I just think that he's the shiny new toy and Ben isn't. So I'm getting a better value by drafting Ben. Yeah, I'm with you. The The way that I didn't like Cousins or Goff, I like both Garoppolo and Roethlisberger. Um, next up, Matt Ryan versus Phillip Rivers. Uh, Rivers for me. I, I just think he's got, you know, they finally started playing Hunter Henry regularly. He's awesome. I love Hunter Henry. Um, you got Tyrell Williams, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. Uh, you know, you got Gordon. You got Eckler. There's just so many weapons there. And, I, I, you know, other than that one year with Shanahan, Ryan has been more of a middle-of-the-road guy. Uh, you know, I like both of them, but I, I like Rivers more. Yeah, I'm with you. I am curious to see how Ryan does in year two with Steve Sarkeesian. Like, we made a lot of the Kyle Shanahan departure last season, and for good reason. Like, Matt Ryan was a pretty disappointing player relative to what he did the year before. Now, a lot of that's regression, but a lot of it was just, it seemed like it it was related to play calling and things like that. So maybe with another year of working together, they can kind of put those pieces back together a little bit. I have a feeling he's going to be a little undervalued based upon how many people he burned in 2017, but I just, I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, he's a great value, and I've heard a lot of smart people talking him up. Um, I don't have a lot of Ryan just because, again, I tend to take Newton if he's there in the eighth round. I tend to take Ben in the tenth. So, uh, uh, you know, and and around where Ryan goes, you also let me let me take a quick look at ADP. He, Rivers is going at pick one twenty. 
Dak, who I like, is at 125. Mariota's at 125. Patrick Mahomes, who I love, is at 129. And Ryan is at 132. So typically, I'm taking, you know, Rivers, Dak, Mariota, and Mahomes before Ryan. I like that you mentioned Dak and Mariota basically having the same ADP because they're the next pair on my list. Who you got between those two? That That is truly a coin flip. Um, I just think that Dak, I mean, if you look at points last year, which I'll pull up real quick, Dak scored 18.6 a game. Mariota scored 16.27. Mariota gets that big bump of finally getting rid of just a horrendous offensive mind as his head coach. And Dak, but Dak also had a really, you know, with Elliott gone and Dez not playing well, you know, I, I really like Dak. I mean, Mariota's the, the, again, got the cachet this year. But if I had to flip a coin, I think I'm going to take Dak probably 60% of the time and uh, Mariota 40% of the time. Yeah, I'm worried and about I like them And I like them both. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily have a strong preference one way or the other, but I am worried about Dez and kind of the way his career seems to be trending. Now, it's hard to know exactly why that is. And it could just be, you know, a one-and-a-half-year mirage. Um, but... I see the weapons that Mariota has around him. Like they just picked up Dean Lewis, uh, Dion Lewis, I should say. They um, they they have Corey Davis in year two. I still like Richard Matthews and Delaney Walker. Um, this is kind of the season where I think he should put it together. Like you said, now that Exotic Smash Mouth is a thing of the past, and so he's probably the guy I would take between them, just kind of shooting for that upside. But um, like you said, it's it's super close, and, and ADP reflects I can't, that. I, I can't argue that. I mean, it, it really is it really is very close. Yep. Uh, how about Jameis and Derek Carr? Well, probably Winston over Carr uh, again because you know, but. Uh, but I like Carr because he's going later, so I own more of him. He's, like I said earlier, the last guy in the tier for me. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just, I've i never been a Jameis guy. I just haven't. And, you know, I, ultimately, I think if they're winning, the, you know, I think his head coach is scared of him. So if they're winning the game or in a tight game, I, I just, you know, that he just doesn't open up for uh, open up the offense for Winston because he's afraid of the turnovers, the really stupid turnovers. Where I think Gruden's going to be way more aggressive with Carr, so I'll say Carr. Yeah, I have, have kind of come from the the opposite place. I've never really been a Derek Carr guy, so I'd probably take Winston. I I will admit though, Dirk Cutter is kind of a a scary proposition <laughs> that's that's not you know necessarily changing right away and it's it's not like if they fire in midseason that's going to be good for Winston either because those sorts of shakeups don't tend to work out well for offenses or, or um, teams in general cars car though did two years ago he was uh in points per game at the quarterback position he was uh ninth so you know Winston that year was 18th, and if you look at it for last year, you know, obviously neither of them had a very good year. Winston was 18th, and Carr was 23rd. So, I mean, it is close, and again, I, I'm a tier drafter. I'm not going to have all my ownership in one guy versus the other, but I'll end up with, I'll probably have more Carr than Winston. Yeah, my issue with Carr is one where I, I feel like that year that he did really well, he was propped up a little bit by the team around him, especially you know how good his offensive line was that season. If you look at like some of his underlying efficiency metrics, like his yards per attempt and things like that, he's never been especially good, and that worries me. Uh, I, I I think that that one good year, that QB nine season in points per game, might have been an outlier, but we'll see. We, who knows? <laughs> I think that's a fair point. I think you made a very fair point. Um, and my last one here, uh, we may have spoiled it because you said you really like this guy, is uh, two former teammates, Alex Smith versus Patrick Mahomes. Where are you at Mahomes, on these two? Mahomes is going to be one of my most owned guys. Uh, I think that his profile 
is just phenomenal. Uh, he's got the ability to run. I, th- I you know, he's going to have some terrible weeks, and I'm more likely to take him when I don't have a Newton. You know, where I have a guy that I think that can get me points. But I, I, I just think that people are underestimating the effect of having the speed of Watkins and Hill on the same team with Kelsey, with Hunt, with Ware. I think I think Mahomes, you know, sure, he, he you know, if it wasn't for the fact that it was his first year as a starter, he'd be going in the seventh, eighth round, I think. Um you know, I and I think next year that's where he might be getting drafted. I think we're getting a bargain this year, and I'm going to take it. Uh, Andy Reid has just always had very productive offenses, and you know, I, if you look in history, teams that have this kind of speed, you're going to get a lot of big plays. So I think Mahomes is going to have a few 30 point weeks this year, and uh, you say, oh well, 30 point weeks. Well, of the top. Uh, 15 quarterbacks last year there were only 23 30 point weeks so you get a guy who gets you three 30 point weeks as like the quarterback 18 and you've done pretty well for yourself yeah i think this matchup really illustrates the difference between best ball and seasonal leagues where you know you could definitely make the case for alex smith in a yearly league because or, or a weekly league where you set lineups because he is that stable producer he almost always is going to give you a decent number of points and i think mahomes is riskier but with that risk comes the upside of those big weeks like you were talking about especially with those weapons that he's got like you mentioned i, and I think I you're... Don't, and i don't have to guess when to start him so you're you're 100 percent correct yeah so i'm with you i'm with you 100 percent on this one i think mahomes i would take mahomes over alex smith every time in a best ball um you know in a yearly league that i you know that would probably be a little different I want to talk about the rookie quarterbacks with you real quick because we don't really have landing spot information yet. The draft is coming up. Are you drafting any incoming rookies at this point in time? No. Okay. No. I mean, the, the you know, again, because I'm a 2QB guy, if I was a 3QB guy, I would take some shots here and there. Later in the season, like last year, I had a couple lineups with Kaiser as my third quarterback in the 20th round. But in general... I'm not going to be interested in any rookie quarterback who doesn't have a big running the ball profile because it it really does seem to take these guys a couple years uh, to get used to the NFL. And I don't see any of these guys being a big year one quarterback. But based upon that rushing ability you mentioned, do you think Lamar Jackson probably has the best shot to be a guy that you'd gamble on, you know, maybe come August? Well, I would say for sure, but you know, I'm going to want to know that he's going to be the starter. What made Kaiser intriguing to me last year was I, I thought he was going to end up being the quarterback for most of the year, and I was right. And and he still didn't perform that well. So, uh, I I in general though, rookie quarterbacks historically just don't do it. Watson was kind of the exception for the rule, and I don't want to chase. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I say I'm not a spreadsheet guy, but I never want to be running against the numbers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm with you. And you did note earlier how you're generally looking to forecast opportunity more than anything else. And, and I, I'm sure that applies more to the other positions than it does to quarterback. But when it comes to rookies like this, it definitely matters to the QB position. You want to make sure that the guys that you're going after are safe in their roles and are going to have the opportunity to put up points for you every week or at least most weeks. Right. I just think that uh, I just think opportunity is different for quarterbacks. So I've been, you know, and I love this conversation because the quarterback position is, you know, kind of boring because they all kind of fall in the same area and you're just picking them in a certain time frame. But, you know, obviously, even though they don't have the win rates of the wide receivers and running backs, you, you know, I had Russell Wilson last year and he was on a lot of my winning teams. So, um, I definitely think that it's very important to disseminate. And what I'm, again, the kind of things, when I talk about opportunity, it's not just opportunity to play or opportunity to have volume, but it's opportunity to be successful. And things like playing on a team with a good defense, 
versus playing on a team that's always going to be behind. That's how I kind of look at opportunity with quarterbacks is there, you know, it's kind of like an NBA uh, pace. And even in the NFL, if, if, a, if a team plays at a fast pace, they're, you're going to have more plays. And that in daily fantasy is one of the key things that the guys who are really good at DFS look at to determine the players they want to pick. You know, I want I want guys who are going to be throwing the ball in the fourth quarter if I can get it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how about stacking with respect to quarterbacks, like pairing a quarterback with one of his or more one or more of his wide receivers and tight ends? Is that something you do or you look at or are you kind of just not trying to correlate between you know players on the same team? Um, I last year uh, I laid out four ways that I wanted to improve. And uh, I did this article for Football Die Hard, and one of them was to stack. I think stacking – I kind of had this epiphany that best ball is, is like 16 weeks of daily fantasy. In other words, you're trying to put up high scores each week. Hmm. So, so I think that stacking is very viable, and I will – but I won't chase it. And that's the important thing. You know, it's like you have to have rules. My, my first rule is I'm not going to drop a tier to chase a stack. But, you know, we've been talking, you know, we just went through all these quarterbacks who were so close and how I want to have ownership of both of them. So if I'm choosing between Mariota and uh, Dak and I've got Corey Davis already, why wouldn't I use, take that opportunity to have that draft be a Mariota draft? So I use them as a tiebreaker. Yeah, or if you had Julio Jones on your roster already, that instance earlier where you said you would take Philip Rivers over Matt Ryan, maybe that flips if Julio's already on your roster. Well, and I think that's one of the real great opportunities. I actually thought of it while you were talking about Ryan, and I was waiting for you to bring up stacking so I could talk <laughs> about it. But Julio is now going, you know, he had an off year. So Ryan had an off year. Well, what if Julio doesn't have an off year and you've stacked him with Ryan? And let's say you do get that, you know, top six year out of Julio and that drives Ryan to a top six year and you've got them together. Well, you're going to be putting up a lot of monster weeks. And that is very helpful for best ball. I like that. Great minds. I, I'm, I'm glad that you were ready for the callback, and and I didn't even you didn't even have to let me prompt you. We got there naturally. That's cool. Um, Todd, I'm gonna have you be the guinea pig for a new segment I want to try out here, and I'm gonna call it the the three two one countdown to close. Give me your three favorite targets or values at quarterback in best ball. Well, this shouldn't come as any surprise if you've listened to the pod for uh, this point. But uh, Cam Newton and Patrick Mahomes are clearly my two favorite values. The third is really tough. Uh, I'm going to either go with Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady. And, you know, Brady falling into the seventh round. I mean, that that's, you know, I know the guy's old. And I know what there's some questions about his weapons and his coordinator leaving. But it's Tom Brady. I mean, that, that's that's some very intriguing value. So so that's kind of my argument for Breeze, though, going back to what we talked about at the top of the show. He still drew Breeze, right? I mean, do you just see Brady as that much better of a player between the two? I, I think that the profile is different. I mean, Brady last year scored 323 points and Drew Breeze scored 289. Um, you know, that might not seem like a lot of a difference, but... You know, Brady also had a 35, a 39, uh, you know, point week. And, you know, that was without Julian Edelman. He gets Edelman back. So you're not too worried about the loss of Brandon Cooks then in that case? I don't think I think the people who talked about how Brady never, you know, people were knocking the Patriots for letting out the word that Brady and him weren't close. But if you watch the games last year, I mean, Cooks was not someone he really looked to like he looked to uh, Edelman and Welker before or Randy Moss. I just don't think that Brady liked Cooks game that much. So, no, I I think that Chris Hogan, 
uh, can fill that role, and they might draft someone uh, in the draft. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a concern, but as long as Gronk is there, Edelman's there, Hogan's there, I think they're going to be fine. Okay, uh, continuing the countdown from three to two, give me your two least favorite targets or values at the quarterback position. Uh, I got three, and we talked about two of them already. But all the guys who only did it for one year or part of one year, Watson, Wentz, and Goff are all going really high. Uh, I don't think there's much value there. Wentz, you know, we haven't even heard that he's going to be ready for week one, and he's going ahead of – you know, a lot of guys that we've talked about that you and I both like. So those are my three guys. And I like that you lump those three together based upon that profile of only having one year of production and how it might be a small sample size. You're not saying that none of those guys is going to hit again, but the odds of all three of them hitting again are so low. And we, we know so little really as fans that it's really difficult to predict exactly which one of the three might hit. And because quarterback is so, you know, flat and scoring and generally predictable, it's not worth paying the premium that those guys are commanding, right? Right. And then you look at, like, Cam Newton from, uh, you know, 2015, and he followed it up with a dud year. Matt Ryan last year followed up a great year with a dud year. I mean, you know, everything went right for those offenses last year. And, yeah, maybe it'll happen again. But if I can draft a Wilson or a Brady or a Roethlisberger uh, right around where I can draft them or later, I just think it's a safer way to go. All right. The countdown goes from two to one. Give me your one most difficult evaluation within the top 30 or so quarterbacks. Uh, It's Andrew Luck. And because of the unknown mixed with his extreme upside, how much and when to take him is probably the hardest decision I think any best ball drafter has to make. Everyone else in, at, at quarterback and standard scoring, the drop-offs aren't very intense. Uh, in studying win percentage, you rarely see a quarterback get over 15% win rate. Uh, but I think if Goff is he- uh, if Luck is healthy, and that is a huge if, he's a top three quarterback. So, uh how much to take of him and when, and when to take him is, I think, the hardest decision that anyone has to make at quarterback this year. The thing I really like about him as a fantasy commodity is the fact that that defense is probably going to be bad yet again, and it's just going to prompt him to throw. This has always been the case, when even when Luck was healthy. He, he really got by on volume because they always had to throw, and... I mean, that came with some big interception numbers some years, but it also came with big touchdown numbers and yardage numbers. So I I don't know. I I really like that call, and I'm very interested in him because, like you say, the upside is tremendous if he plays. But you noted how it's kind of difficult to make that call just because we're so ill-informed about what's really going on with him. How much have you been drafting him, if you don't mind me asking? I'm aiming to be even weight on him. Uh, And and I'm more comfortable with him as my number two than my number one. Uh, and, and at first I was thinking, well, I'll draft the third quarterback. But then I thought, boy, that really mitigates that, – that was kind of a double negative because if he's healthy, you don't need a third. If he's not healthy, you know, a guy like, you know, one of the guys you'd pick up as a third quarterback probably isn't going to win your league for you anyway. So I'm, I'm, I'm picking him as a two-QB guy going forward. I want to be even weight. And, um, you know, I, I think if I can do that, I'll be okay. Oh, yeah, I, one other, one other thing on luck. You mentioned, you know, the defense, but also don't forget he hasn't played behind even a reasonably good offensive line in a couple years. If this offensive line is continuing to improve, we haven't seen him be able to sit back and really chuck it behind uh, a functioning offensive line. And then you also get with Luck a little bit of ru- – he's an underrated runner as well. That's a great point. Yeah, there's that secret Konami code upside with him. I want to get back to that idea of drafting Luck as your QB2 in a best ball and how you kind of talked yourself out of potentially drafting a third quarterback behind him. Maybe it, Do you think maybe it makes sense to do it the other way around, to draft three quarterbacks with Luck as your QB1? 
or are you just if he doesn't play are you still just limiting your upside too much with the the later QBs you would select well again I'm not a three QB guy and if I'm gonna have even weight on luck you know I'll probably have 70 percent with him as a number two and again remember I'm not you know, uh, that means I have Cam Newton as my number one, or I've got uh, Ben as my number one, or Garoppolo as my number one, and then Luck is my number two. I actually won a best ball last year with Ryan Tannehill and Aaron Rodgers as my two quarterbacks. Wow. Uh, and Rodgers, uh, Rodgers, as you know, I mean, the rest of that team, I, I mean, it was just, you know, girl, I think it was Gurley, Kamara, you know, the, uh, Antonio Brown. I mean, it was a stacked team. But, um, I, I mean, again, it, you get a feel for these things. It's like I compare it to a good mixed drink or a good, you know, a good chef who just has a feeling for the recipe. I, the feeling I'm getting, and I know that's, you know, you, you could laugh at me if you're a numbers guy, but the feeling I'm getting is that if I have luck as a, uh, you know, one of two good quarterbacks right around. He's going around the 10th round. So if I'm drafting, you know, one quarterback in the eighth or ninth and I take luck in the second as my second QB, I'm done at quarterback and I'm loading up for bear. And if I get a big year out of him, I, I could really go somewhere. Great stuff. Hey, Todd, thanks for coming on the show today, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on in terms of quarterbacks and best ball before we wrap things up? No, I think that real, I mean, we, you know, I love coming on. I really appreciate that you had me on. Great questions. Uh, so I, I, no, I mean, I think we, uh, uh, I guess the, you know what we could talk about for a second? And I'm going to ask you the question. Okay. What are your thoughts on Case Keenum? Because Keenum to me is the one guy who I don't have in that uh, realm of, you know, the top guys. But I'm wondering if that's just a Case Keenum bias because he's got Sanders and Thomas and he is definitely an upgrade on Simeon. So, uh, you know, give me your thoughts on Keenum this year. Yeah, he's he's a really tough evaluation. He has that same sort of, you know, potential downside as a Goff or a Wentz in that we only really have seen him be good for one season. And it's hard to know how much signal to assign to that uh when i did my rankings a, a while back just for the quarterback position i think i had him near the bottom of a tier kind of in the tyrod taylor or andy dalton range um I, i'm i'm generally i feel like that's a little optimistic to be honest like to just kind of give him that kind of veteran starter status but he really did look good last year and he looked pretty comfortable um i don't like the move from minnesota to denver though that's the thing that concerns me the most is that it might I like I like Emmanuel Sanders, I like Demarius Thomas, but I, I worry a little bit that those guys aren't who they used to be. Um and I'm I'm not sure if you know, if we see them decline a little bit and if we see Case Keenum regress a little bit, that could just be a, a complete disaster. But I think he's usable. I, I definitely wouldn't necessarily want him as one of my two starters in a best ball, I don't think. I think if he was one of the guys I was drafting I would want to have three quarterbacks, but I agree. That's where I'm at. I, I'm not very excited about him, but I'm intrigued by him. I think he's a very interesting player because, like I said, he looked great last year. Like even in the playoffs, he played pretty well against good teams. Like that matters. That matters to me at least, and I'm willing to give him a, a reasonable benefit of the doubt because you know he he was a high profile. Uh, college producer as well like there were signs that case keenum could be a good nfl player and maybe he, it just took show him, it yeah maybe it just took him a long time to show it i think that's i think that's a reasonable explanation i just you have to think of the whole range of outcomes right the potential for him to bust the potential for denver to be a worse spot than minnesota despite the fact that they have you know at least high profile big name wide receivers there I yeah he's a really tough evaluation he might have been my answer to that question I asked you earlier um when you said you know I don't know what to do with luck or, or luck is my toughest evaluation it might be Keenum for me just because the sample size is so limited yeah it, it, okay so you put out some of the good reasons I'll throw out two of the scary things for me one I wonder if you know like Cinderella the the glass slipper is going to come off and it's going to you know he's going to turn, turn back into, into a, a pumpkin. pumpkin yep <laughs> you know but but 
you know, he did at different points in his career show that he has ability. So it wasn't the first time he ever showed ability. But uh, for, uh, if you want a, uh, something to, you know, pump up the the, the uh, Cinderella narrative, Pat Shermer has gotten really good seasons out of a bunch of mediocre quarterbacks. And, you know, so if you if you you know how much of that was Keenum and how much of that was Shermer, that that's the question. And then the last guy that's really interesting that I don't draft, but it could be a mistake is Mitchell Trubisky, because I think that this uh, new uh, coach uh, Nagy, the head coach, I think everyone on on uh, Chicago is being undervalued. Because it's Chicago, it has the name Chicago on it, and just like Jacksonville had, no, no one thought Jacksonville would be good because, well, it's Jacksonville, and then all of a sudden they're in the playoffs, pushing New England to the last minute. Uh, I think that Nagy is kind could be the McVeigh of this season. You know, the guy who took over from a really conservative bad coach, and you know, and is a young, bright mind. So I, I think Trubisky with uh, Allen Robinson is, I'm not drafting him, but, but in the back of my head, there's like this little thing nudging me, wondering if I'm making a mistake. Yeah, Trubisky has been one of those guys for two quarterback formats that is kind of the the poster boy for late round QB drafting in those formats like normally in a two quarterback league you have to draft quarterbacks pretty high but you know they're still going to be the guys who are generally ranked lower that go later and Trubisky is kind of become this icon of of potential you know of of upside in the later rounds and I I see the comparisons with Nagy and McVeigh, but I sometimes I worry that it's too easy to make those sorts of comparisons and it, it doesn't necessarily, like, every situation is actually different, and we, we can't just make those comparisons so, you know, quickly and easily. I, I think there's danger in that. Now, with that said, anything's going to be better than John Fox, like you like you said, and that's, um, I, there's, <laughs> there is upside, but I'm with you. I'm, pr- I'm probably avoiding him, and not just because it's the Bears, but because we don't know, because it's it's such a nebulous situation. We don't know how good Nagy's going to be in, in year one as a head coach. Um, and I, I do want to go back to that point you made about Pat Shermer with Case Keenum. Do you think that he could potentially, you know, get Eli Manning to rebound a little bit? Because Manning's a guy who I think is washed, to be honest. Like, I don't think he's really uh, – I don't, I don't think he should be starting at this point in the NFL, or at least based upon his performance in the past couple of years. Do you think there might be some magic there? I'm a Giant fan, and – the. <laughs> You know, I do think his arm isn't what it used to be. At the same time, again, you know, what do they say makes cowards of us all? Um, You know, a bad offensive line can make cowards of any quarterback. And they've had just a pitiful one. And they had an unimaginative coach who always had them in uh, three wide receiver sets. And I I definitely think Eli could be – uh, a rebound candidate. I don't think he'll be a top five quarterback or maybe not even a top 10 quarterback, but I, I do think um, there's a chance that Eli has a bounce back year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's possible. I think Shermer coming in there, I think getting Odell Beckham Jr. back really helps. I, I think that there's reason. They got to fix optimism. the offensive line. Oh, definitely. And and we're see we saw the same thing with Dalton in Cincinnati, right? It's that's, that's a huge part of the game that a lot of fantasy players tend to overlook. That's a huge, huge upside situation. I, I know a lot of people aren't Joe Mixon fans, but the Bengals really showed that they wanted to feature him. He's going, you know, in the you know early to mid third round, and they've already got Cordy Glenn, AJ Green's going at the end of the second round. Uh, I, I really, you know, and Dalton. We know Dalton doesn't play good under pressure, so. If they can add one or two more good pieces to that line in the draft, I, I, I'm going to be buying Bengals players pretty heavily. Does offensive line factor into your evaluations of other quarterbacks? Um, are there any guys that you're avoiding for the same reasons that we, you know, didn't like Eli Manning last year? You know, and that was because I didn't draft hardly any Eli last year, 
and uh, it worked out really good for me. But uh, I think I think offensive line is one of my focuses this year to be, you know, look at Goff. They brought in Whitworth, they brought in Sullivan, and all of a sudden, both him and Gurley, you know, and McVeigh. But I think the offensive line is the part of that equation that gets the least credit. Uh, let's see. I'm looking. I'm looking. Are there any that are really bad? Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's drafting them, but Buffalo and Miami's line. I mean, it, it just it, it, I, w- I wouldn't draft the quarterbacks anyway, but I think you got to take uh, McCoy down a, a, a bit of a tier because you know, they just lost Incognito and Wood had to retire. That often, and they traded Cordy Glenn. I mean, that offensive line is brutal. And Miami, same thing. So I, I think you know a lot. If you're if you're looking to draft a lot of players from that team, you might want to reconsider because I don't think in general when people when you know eight, I don't think people consider offensive line enough, and I don't think it affects ADP enough. Oh, I totally agree. And I mean, so much for trying to wrap up the show, man. We just talked for another five minutes or something there about offensive line and Eli Manning and Pat Shermer. That's good stuff. Um, why don't you let folks know where they can find you on social media and uh, where they can find your work? Sure. Uh, at Todd from PA, and that's Todd with one D. Uh, I recently did a Fantasy Feast episode with Ross Tucker and Evan Silva. You can check that out. Uh, I, I do my own Run to Daylight podcast, and I'm doing once a week an article for Fanball where I hook my podcast to. So you can find uh, uh, Run to Daylight on Stitcher, on iTunes, on Fanball. I also write for Rotoviz and Football Diehards. I'll put a link uh, to the podcast in the show notes. So if you're listening to this and you want to check out Todd's show, um, just check the show notes. You'll find a link there. Um, thanks again for coming on. Uh, yeah, I got to have you on to do a 2QB. I've never done a 2QB episode, so I hope you'll come on my pod too. Yeah, I'm game. Let's do it. Uh, let's let's talk after the wrap-up here, and then we'll get that scheduled. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah, that is awesome. Uh, listeners, uh, if you want to send any feedback uh, about the show or just ask some questions, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs or by email, 2QBs at gmail.com. In both cases, you spell that out. It's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, please rate and review the podcast. Subscribe if you haven't already. That really helps us out. I'd really appreciate it. And otherwise, uh, let's get ready for the draft. It's, it's right around the corner. Um, we will be back soon with another episode. And until then, adios. Adios.